Let me invite you back to your seat, please, and remain standing as we give our attention to the reading and preaching of God's Word. I also invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 40 this morning. Last week, we ended the end of chapter 7. We're going to jump ahead just a little bit this morning. We ended last week with the stoning of Stephen and his death. In the beginning of chapter 8, you simply just need to know that because of that stoning, persecution came to the church there in Jerusalem. And Philip eventually, Philip the deacon, not the apostle, but Philip the deacon, eventually found himself in Samaria, the region of Samaria, preaching the good news of the gospel. And scores of people were coming to saving faith in Christ. And then the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says he is to take a road, now our text, out of Jerusalem, out into the desert. And we think, no way, (laughs) no way, right? I mean, here he is in Samaria, and we have multitudes coming savingly, Gentiles coming savingly to faith in Christ, and Philip is told to leave that place and go out into the desert for one individual. Surely that is a mistake, isn't it? No, it's not. Let's find out why it's not and give our full attention to the reading and preaching of his word. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Hear now the word of God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that's open before us, and thank you that you accompany your holy infallible word by the presence and power of your spirit to seal promises to us promises that are yes and amen in the finished work of Jesus so open our eyes to behold beautiful things from your law even today we pray in Jesus name amen please friends be seated 
several years ago when my oldest daughter was in upper elementary school age and my youngest daughter was in early elementary school age, we took a family vacation out to Washington, D.C. to tour some of the events that are there. And uh, we had spent the day, this was long before, uh, oh, by the way, long before Airbnb and long before Uber. So we stayed in hotels and we utilized the subway system there in Washington, D.C. One particular day, we had spent quite a bit of time touring a couple of different museums. It was late in the day, and so we decided to make our way back. Unfortunately, it was now rush hour. So we got to the central location of the subway system, where if you go down one deck, the train tracks are running east and west, but if you go down to the second lower level, the tracks run north and south. And so everyone is getting off to train, train, change pla uh, trains in this particular spot, I'll get it in a moment, so that they can get out to the suburbs or out to the places where they live. We, we took the elevator to the lowest level, the doors opened up, and oh my goodness, you've never seen so many people in all of your life. And so mom and dad did what we always did. I grabbed hold of Melissa's hand, and Jennifer grabbed hold of Allison's hand. We turned and said, don't let go, follow me, and off we went. Jennifer and Allison were in front of me, and Melissa and I were behind them, and as we got close enough to the train, all of a sudden my hand went free, Melissa had broken loose, screamed at Jennifer to stop. I spun around to all this oncoming people, and everybody move, and I'm looking for my daughter, and there she was, and she was knelt down embracing this little boy that couldn't have been any more than about four years old, everything within him fighting back the tears, all alone. We surrounded this little boy, all got down on his level asking, what his name was, Jake, he told us. Uh, what was he doing by himself? Where was his mommy and daddy? And he was with his brothers and sisters and his mommy, and they were about to get on the train. Suddenly, he lost grip of her hand. The door closed, and the train took off, and there he was all by himself, fighting back with everything, these little tears. Jake, we're not going to leave you, buddy. We're with you. We're going to stay with you until your mommy gets back. And I look up and over the track, there's a little hut up there with a staircase that goes down on that side of the track and another staircase on this side of the track and it's a police hut. The, the police officers are up there. So we take Jake, we ascend the steps, we're telling the police officer what we have found, reminding Jake that we're not going to leave you, we're going to stay with you. Do you remember what your mommy is wearing? He gave us complete details, extensive details, all the while your lower lip is just shaking like that, and he's holding it back with everything that he can. And then I look up, and a train is coming from the opposite direction, back into the tunnel, and makes its way to the dock there, opens the doors, and you can hear this blood-curling, Jake, as the doors open, and there she is, there's mom right there wearing that white blouse with great big flowers on it just as Jake told us we're up on the platform waving and screaming she sees us she's running up the stairs she falls into Jake's arms telling us the story that she and her sister were there visiting some sites and between them they had all five of their children holding hands but it was so crowded that somebody broke the chain trying to get in and the door closed and off they went. 
made their way what seemed like an eternity to the first stop, only to get over to the other side to make that trip all the way back, and then began to thank us profusely for taking care of little Jake. And Jennifer and I simply ended by saying, you know, we were just at the right place at the right time. Have you ever experienced anything in life, friends, where that is the result, where you think to yourself, you know, I was just at the right place at the right time. That is exactly what we have in this particular passage now as we end Acts chapter 8. But I want you to think more clearly about this because we look at this passage and we think, isn't Philip in the right place at the right time? That, uh, that, that the Lord would call him away from Samaria where great things are happening out into the desert just for this one guy. He's at the right place at the right time. But friends, the Ethiopian eunuch is at the right place at the right time as well. This passage challenges us to not cling to chance, but to cling to the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty that simply means that God is in control, complete control. He is on His throne above, make no mistake about that, controlling the planets and their courses, the stars, the sun, the moon, and everything else, but also the God who is involved in every detail of your life who is guiding your steps, providentially guiding your steps to put you in places where He has ordained to speak of the hope that you have, that He may draw those that He's calling to Himself savingly. You see, oftentimes I would use the phrase that this is a divine appointment, that Philip has been given a divine appointment to share the good news. But friends, this is, this is a divine positioning that God has put the Ethiopian eunuch in the right place and he has put Philip in the right place at the right time that a believer, one who trusts in the Lord Jesus, can speak of the hope that he has to an unbeliever, one who God is calling savingly to himself. It's a beautiful passage. If we look at it just like that. So let's think about this. This is, make, this is no mistake. In Acts chapter 8, it, it begins, you know, they have been in Jerusalem. Things have, We've been talking about how the church is growing. Multitudes are coming to saving faith. And then Stephen, one of the first deacons, is stoned to death. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1, tells us that persecution comes on the church and they scatter. They leave that place. Philip finds himself in the region of Samaria where the Samaritans were preaching the good news of the gospel of grace and multitudes continue to come savingly to himself. And in our passage now in verse 26, an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, you know what, you see all this great stuff that's going on? I'm going to take you away. We just simply think this can't be true. All of these people, why wouldn't he leave Philip right there? But I want you to notice also, that's not all that he does. The angel of the Lord says to Philip to go. He doesn't even give him any explanation of where he's going or what he's going to find, does he? He doesn't find that out until later, until he is confronted with the Ethiopian passing by in his chariot. He's just told to go to that road and to take off, given no explanation. And now in response a lover of the Lord Jesus, a believer in the Lord Jesus, responds and goes. Now think about where we are in redemptive history. 
Back in Acts chapter 1, remember Jesus got his apostles together after his resurrection, before his ascension, and he said, I want you to stay right here in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And when the Spirit does come upon you, then I want you to leave Jerusalem and go to Judea, Samaria, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. So it is no mistake at all that persecution comes now and forces the church out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria because that's what Jesus said would happen, that they would leave Jerusalem to make their way to Samaria and to Judea to preach the good news. And that's where Philip is, preaching savingly, coming, multitudes savingly, coming to himself. And then now he finds himself on a road towards Gaza, out into the desert. Why? To meet an Ethiopian on his way back home, the beginning of the picture now in the book of Acts, to the ends of the earth. No mistake at all. But the sovereignty of a loving God who ordains the very steps that we take, it's as if we are in the right place at the right time because it is sovereignly designed by God Himself. Look at these two individuals and think about them. Now we have, Luke tells us, an Ethiopian. And he's been to Jerusalem to worship God. So he's a God-fearer. He's not a believer yet. He's heard about Israel's God. And he wants to know more. So perhaps he's taking this journey so that he can find out more about Yahweh. He's been to Jerusalem and now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. Now, in that day, Ethiopia would have been just south of Egypt on the west side of the Red Sea. Modern-day Sudan today, but it spills down into modern-day Ethiopia. That's about a thousand miles from where he lives to where he has been, or he's going. He's left Jerusalem now. He's got another thousand-mile journey all the way back to Ethiopia. This text tells us that he's a eunuch as well, which is important for us to understand because of this reason. Because he is in the court of Candace, that's not her name, She's the queen of Ethiopia. Candace was a title, much like for an emperor, we use the term Caesar. It is her title, but he is the CFO for all of her treasury. He has been invited in, we understand, into the palace. He, he, he didn't grow up in the palace. He wasn't born in the palace. Because for those who are brought into positions of authority, places of leadership, outside of growing up in, uh, in the palace, they, they become eunuchs. They have to make the willful decision that they will alter themselves because the king and the queen didn't want any funny business going on in the palace. And so this man now, this educated man, takes this position takes the step of becoming a eunuch and now has traveled to Jerusalem and on his way back to his home, he's got to have an entourage because he's in charge of all of the treasury. And he's met by one man, Philip. And I want you to compare the two. Now, Philip, also referred to as the evangelist, Philip the deacon, part of those first seven, not Philip the apostle, but Philip the uneducated man. Philip the believer, but he has no statue, stature in life. He's important in preaching the gospel, but he's not important in that he is over any kind of treasury. 
you find two completely opposite individuals. And that's what I want you to understand today, friends. The gospel, the gospel breaks down every barrier that would divide individuals like you and me. Not only the outward barrier, the color of our skin or anything such as that, but even our, our economic stature, uh, wealthy or not wealthy, the gospel tears down, breaks down, destroys every barrier because there is only one name under heaven by which humankind can be saved. And that name is Jesus. It's why we say, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, small c. I believe it is only one gospel that saves. The wealthy, the not wealthy, any color of skin, it's the same gospel that saved me, that saves the guy in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. One gospel. That's what we find here. Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. So friends, let me ask you, do you believe that God has put these two people in their place now because it's, it's been divinely, sovereignly predestined by God himself to do that particular work? That God does the same for us, that he puts us in places where he would utilize us. Those of us who love the Lord Jesus, who have given our life to the Lord Jesus, who now speak of the hope that we have because God is calling those savingly to himself that he's already ordained from the foundation of the world would come. Are you putting all of your hope in chance or are you putting your hope in the sovereignty of a God who loves us well? Now, friends, don't see this as the proof text for us to just sit back and wait. Well, I'm going to just wait for God to send me that person to cross my path. No, no, that's not what happened with Philip. Philip was enduring, experiencing all kinds of wonderful things that were taking place. And God said, now leave there and take the road out of Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. You go out there and doesn't tell him anything at all. But it's a response, isn't it? Philip goes. He doesn't know where he's going, why he's going, but he goes. And Philip is the first one to speak. The Ethiopian eunuch passes by, but Philip is the one that runs over. This is not a proof text for us to sit back and wait for somebody to come to us. This is a text telling us that God puts us in places to where we ought to be looking around and say, In obedience, Father, I'm here for somebody, something. Show it to me and help me, let me speak of the hope that I have in Jesus. Philip gets out to the desert now out past the road to Gaza, out in the desert, he's probably thinking to himself, man, did I misunderstand what he said? <laughs> here I am out in the middle of nowhere, and then suddenly here comes, uh, here comes a, a chariot and a whole entourage of individuals, and now the Spirit of the Lord, Luke goes back and forth between the angel of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord to show us that God is sovereignly in control of all of the, uh, the footsteps. He's ordained them all. And the Spirit of the Lord says, you see that chariot? I want you to run over there and run alongside. Run alongside because the, the, the chariot is moving. I want you to run alongside. Can you, can you get this picture in your mind? He's running over there. He's probably bouncing up and down, you know, with the little window. Hey, what you reading over 
there. Yeah. Back as you're traveling down the road, I, I see you're reading Isaiah. Uh, do, you know, do you know what that means? This is just a, beautiful, just a beautiful passage of how God is bringing him right to this place. And he tees it up for Philip, doesn't he? I mean, pink out of the park. He gives him Isaiah 53. If someone were to say to me, Bryant, share the gospel with Pastor Paul because he doesn't know the gospel. Share the gospel and you can only use the Old Testament. You better believe this would be the passage that I would turn to. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was silent before his shearers. Oh, this is a beautiful, but Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament, beloved, and every page of the New Testament. But what a tee-up. He's got Isaiah 53 open in his lap. He has the gospel, and then Philip just simply says, do you understand what you're reading? And look at the response. How can I if I don't have someone to guide me? Now, you ask somebody today, do you understand what you're reading? And And they say... No, I have no idea. Can you tell me what it is? What do we, oh, no, no, no. I can't tell you what truth is. You've got to find your own truth. <laughs> You've got to discover your own truth. And then we all have to be tolerant with your own truth, whatever that truth is. That's not what we find, is it? Philip responds to the question. He responds by opening his mouth and beginning with that passage, Isaiah 53. He now told him, verse 35, the good news about Jesus. He told him the answer, the only answer to the question that's found in the gospel, and the answer is the person, Jesus Christ, the one who is standing silent before his persecutors. Why? Why? Because he was excluded that we could be included. He was was rejected that we could be received. He took on so that we could get rid of our sin and come savingly to faith. Now, friends, listen very carefully. If you are here today for the first time, maybe the 900th time, you're here today, you grew up in the church, but you have not claimed the name of Christ as your own. You are much like this individual here as the Ethiopian eunuch. He knows things about Yahweh. He desires a deeper understanding, but he has not given his life to Christ. He wants to know more. So if that defines you, make no mistake that simply growing up in the church or even present in the church each week, apart from saving faith in Christ, we continue to be dead in our sins and transgressions. But that is the beauty of the gospel, and that's the beauty of what Philip describes here. For people like us who have given our lives to Christ, who have confessed our sins to Him, He uses people like us to speak this Jesus into the lives of others that they may share and understand, know more of what God has done for them. As He brings them savingly to Himself. That has to be what has taken place in this Ethiopian eunuch. And and Philip, by the way, had to preach also the same thing that that Peter had preached at Pentecost. What should we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So they're riding along now, Philip up in the chariot, 
preaching Christ, giving Christ is the only answer. It's not you. It's all about Christ. He's the prophet. He's the one, he's the, one the prophet is speaking about right there, giving him the gospel. And he says, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from now taking on that outward sign of the washing away of my sins? Everything would prevent him from being baptized. He's the Ethiopian eunuch going all the way back to the queen of Ethiopia with this huge entourage that are going to get back to Ethiopia and say, hey, that, that CFO you got is he's out there. He's crazy. He's going down in water, getting splashed and saying that he loves Jesus and he's returning. He was so happy coming back. He was singing and shouting and all kinds of things. Can you imagine? He had everything to stop him from saying he wanted to be baptized. But yet he wanted to take that mark. He, he now believes the gospel. That's what's implied here. He believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He believes it personally as his own now. And so he embraces that and is baptized. Now, friends, by way of application, listen very carefully. The, the Lord can do this. The Lord could use you in an elevator, speaking of the hope that you have and the doors close and you're talking and before they open, someone understands and believes and is ready to receive the gift that God gives. But that's not the common way. The common way is by building relationships with it. Let me tell you this, Eric Arguello, Eric was over in Ukraine just last week and he was working with the college students there and found out that one of the girls loves cats. <laughs> And Amy loves cats. And so they're sending pictures back and forth of her cats and their cats. And a couple of days later, this girl comes back to Eric to say she understands. And she thinks she's now giving her life to Christ. God can use a cat, of all things. A cat to do something like that. To bring into... We have been as a staff praying that the Lord would give 50 new converts to the ministry of Redeemer Church, either here or the ministry of. That was number four. We're on our way, friends, because that's what God promises to do, to use people like us to speak of the hope that we have. Now, let me just clarify two things for you because they're like huge red flags, and that is, you want to you really mess with somebody? I'll turn to Ricardo and I'll say, hey, buddy, would you stand up and read Acts chapter 8, verse 37 <laughs> aloud? And you turn there. Whoops, we go from 36 to 38. There is no 37. If you'll notice, Acts 37, or 8, 37 is in the footnote. It's the footnote that simply says, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he professes his faith in the Lord Jesus? It's in the footnote for this reason. The early Greek manuscripts left verse 37 out. It was implied. It was understood because of the response of the Ethiopian eunuch. The church added it later, and five, six hundred years later, just to clarify a creed for what the church believed about baptism. What would they believe that was implied, they wanted to now make explicit. And so the later Greek translations, it was added. But here's my point. Thinking simply, friends, that because I was raised in the church, or that I'm here every week and, and haven't yet committed my life to Christ... You are apart from saving grace. And I say that with all love and affection. I say today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to confess your sin, to give your life savingly to Christ, this one Jesus who stood condemned in your place, that you might receive that good news 
today. The second red flag, the big herring here, is because uh, some folks are going to try to use this if it's a diversion. This is not what the text is about, but that's the mode of baptism. They're in the desert, for crying out loud. There's not going to be a lot of water in the desert. So you'll, you'll have individuals who want to, you know, uh, snake around the, 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 the meaning of what it is that you're trying to give them, Jesus, well, well, but there had to be immersion. He had to go, they went down in the water and he came up out of the water. If that's the case, friend, then Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were both baptized because both of them went down in the water and both came up. It just simply means they stopped, they went down the bank into the water. The mode is not, is not what Luke is trying to communicate for us here. What Luke is trying to communicate for us here is Faith in Jesus Christ. Now think about where we are in redemptive history. Gentiles are coming savingly. They, they did not grow up in the, the Israel heritage. So now they're coming saving. And what does the church require? Repent and be baptized. And then after you do, the promises are for you and your children and your children's children. It's where we are in redemptive history. That Jesus is teaching in the Gospels. And then the writing of the epistles to individuals and churches, what stands in the middle, the teeter-totter, the pivot, is the book of Acts, asking and trying to answer the question, what is normative? What are we going to do now in the church for those outside of faith who are able to profess faith, profess faith, they're baptized, and then the promises are for you and for your children and your children's children. Don't miss the point. The point is not the mode of baptism. The point is saving faith in Jesus Christ. And look at how it ends then. They came up out of the water in this Spirit of the Lord. Here it is again. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He carried him away. How that is, I have no idea. What that looked like, I don't know. But all we do know is this, that he finds himself in Azotus. Okay. But then he is on his way to Caesarea. And look what, look what Philip does. In every town that he passes through, he preaches the gospel. Whether he's got an audience of one or whether he has an audience of thousands, multitudes, his purpose is to speak of the hope that he has in Jesus Christ because he was saved. He wants others to be saved. And then look at the eunuch. He saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. Now, allow me just a little bit of liberty, and I know it's a little bit of liberty. It's not, we're not told here. But he's on his way rejoicing. Could he have continued reading the prophecy of Isaiah? Isn't that likely? If so, two chapters later, this is what he would have read. Now newly converted now understanding who Yahweh is, now giving his life to Jesus and being baptized, he would read, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall never, ever be cut off. What a gospel. Can you imagine the joy that now filled this guy's heart? 
He made a thousand-mile journey and now making a thousand miles back and now finally understands. And he reads something like that. His name is forever written on the hand of his Savior. When I was uh, in seminary, I was a congregational care intern for Kirk of the Hills Presbyterian Church. Dr. Wilson Benton was the senior pastor there. Wonderful, wonderful man. He had a, a, has a daughter, Paige. You probably, some of you may know of Paige Benton Brown. She speaks a lot at women's conferences within the PCA. She tells this story. I want to tell it from her perspective because it's classic Paige. She said she and her sister Laura would be accompanied by their mother, Pam, down to Mississippi to visit uh, their grandparents. And the granddad would get up early in the morning when Paige was getting up, and he would, uh, he would go get her, and he would pick her up and take her into the bathroom and put her up on the, on the counter there and hand, put her, uh, hold her hand out and fill it with shaving cream, and she would smear shaving cream all over his face while he shaved the whiskers off. And then he would pick her up and carry her outside and turn her over and hold her by her ankles while she reached down and grabbed the newspaper. And he would take her back inside and put her up on the countertop, give her pieces of bread, and she got to drop them in the toaster, and she got to push down both of the buttons at the same time. She would take the spoonful of sugar, and she would put it in Grandpa's coffee and stir it around. She would cry crack the egg into the skillet. And then Paige would say when she's telling this story, I would always think to myself, what does this man do when he's by himself? How could he, <laughs> how could he ever accomplish anything? But then she came to real, realize later, Grandpa didn't have to do any of those things. It took him much longer to do those things, but he did those things because he wanted to spend time with her he wanted her to see how much he cherished her, how much he loved her, and how much he wanted to be with her. And friends, such is the case with a believer speaking of their hope to an unbeliever. God doesn't need us to accomplish salvation to the nations. But he wants to be with us. He cherishes us. He loves us. And he delights in using us as we respond in obedience to that call, even if we don't know where we're going, he delights in using us to draw individuals savingly to himself that he is predestined from the foundation of the world. So my final question is this. What will Redeemer Presbyterian Church of San Antonio do in response? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have visited us with this gospel it has changed our life. And now, Father, we delight in seeing dead being brought back to life again. Those that are in darkness coming into your glorious light. As you use us, as you cherish us enough to use us to draw individuals to yourself. Do that for the ministry of Redeemer. We're praying for 50 conversions, Lord. Not that we may boast in numbers, but that we may boast in a God who saves people today and until he comes again. Do it for your glory's sake. Amen.